Let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. His, lighten, his lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before Yahweh, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all people see his glory. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God, that you have allowed us to see your glory. Thank you, Father God, that you have allowed us to be invited into your midst, to be into your, in your presence. We just thank you for all that you have done for us, for everything that you have done. We just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness, for your mercy, for your grace, for your patience, your long-suffering, for your loving kindness. Thank you. Thank you for the peace that surpasses all understanding. Thank you for your joy that fills our hearts. Thank you, Father God, that you have kept us and that you have never forsaken us. Thank you that when we pray to you, that you answer. That when we call upon your name, we're never disappointed. And we just thank you, Father God. And Father God, we just pray today that as we begin to get into your word, that uh, you will just speak to us. Let us know what's on your mind. Let us know what's in your heart. I pray, Father God, that I step out the way and that you step in the way that your Holy Spirit is going to be the front man this evening and that we can all together declare boldly how great is our God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. You know, I thank you guys for being here tonight. Um, I, don't, I never take it lightly, um, you know, when we gather because, you know, where scripture says that where two or three are gathered, there he is in the midst of us. And um, I remember, uh, I think I was listening to a tape by Dr. Creflo Dollar a long time ago. And he was talking about the first sermon that he had preached. And it was funny because he talked about how many people showed up for that sermon. And he said, nobody was there. <laughs> His very first sermon um, that he preached, nobody was there, um, and God had reminded him at that moment that, um, that that would be the last sermon that he would preach where nobody would be present. So I never take it lightly, um, and I really just appreciate y'all being here. Um, as you know, tonight they're having another debate in uh, Nevada for everybody that's into politics. So um, yeah, but anyway. We're into Jesus, right? <laughs> yeah, we're never going to be shocked by who gets selected or elected or however the next leader is picked or chose. We just know that the God that we serve is on the throne, and we're never going to be disappointed. Amen? Romans chapter 11, uh, verse 33 to 36. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Actually, from Romans chapter 11, verse 33, we're going to read all the way to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. So this is going to be somewhat of a lengthy read, but um, there's a lot to unpack. It says, 
Oh, and I'm reading out of the Amplified. It says, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and decisions and how unfathomable, unfathomable. Man, when you, you know, when you, when you read the Bible, you got to, your, your hooked on phonics got to be on point. How unfathomable and untraceable are his ways. Verse 34, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Verse 35, or who has first given to him that it would be paid back to him? For from him all things originate, and through him all things live and exist, and to him are all things directed. To him be the glory and honor forever. Amen. Then Paul picks it up in verse 12, leaning off of what he's written, because this is a letter, so it's a continuous uh, narrative. He says, because of to him be the glory and honor forever, in, verse, uh, in Romans 12, verse 1, he says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, dedicated all of yourselves, set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. I love the Amplified in this case. It says in verse 2, it says, and do not be conformed to this world any longer with the superficial values and customs. These values and customs, they're going to be fading away. Don't be conformed to it because it's, it's fading. It's not going to be there forever. But then he says, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is and that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. You know, it's, um, it's funny. I was picking up my daughter, and I was um, picking up both my daughter and my niece from, uh, from preschool yesterday. And mind you, they're like four years old, and, you know, I'm, from when I picked them up, now I'm on, to, on my way to go pick up my son from school. And so, and when I pick him up, it's almost like a 20, maybe about a 30-minute wait before he's released from class and we, and we get him in a car. So I'm literally, we're literally in the car from, let's say, 2.45 to maybe about 3.25 before we see him. And we're just sitting in the, uh, in the parking lot of his elementary school. So, you know, I'm doing my thing, and my daughter and uh, my niece are in the back seat, and I'm listening to them, you know, as they engage each other. And it's just so funny because whenever you see little kids interact, to some degree, it almost reminds you as, you know, as adults how we interact with each other. And they, in their creativity, um, engage each other in ways that is like, <laughs> it just reminds you of just how awesome uh, their intelligence is expanding on a regular. Um, so here they are, they're talking in the back seat, and I hear my daughter saying to, you know, saying to my niece, and she's like, oh, let me whisper something in your ear. And I'm thinking, y'all are four years old. Like, what do you got to whisper? And who taught you about whispering and, 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 and telling secrets, you know? They're four years old, but they, for some reason, they pick up a lot of our adult habits. And I'm sitting here like, y'all don't even know how to whisper right, you know? <laughs> but they pick up habits in the world on a regular basis. You know, I was reading um, in some 
forgot what document I was reading, but it says that, you know, that our mind processes 400 billion bits of information every second. 400, bit, 400 billion bits of information every second. And for you IT people out there, we load 32 gigabytes of information daily. That's a lot of stuff that, we're, that, uh, that is coming into our minds and that we're processing. That's a lot of information. Imagine that times the number of days you have been alive. So if you, you know, imagine that. If you've been alive for 20 years, 20 years times 365 days times 400 billion bits of information every second that you have lived or times 32 gigabytes that is being loaded into your brain daily. That is a lot of information that you have processed in your, in your period of birth up until your 20 years or 30 years or 40 years of however long you've lived, you've been taking in information. Your brain has been processing a lot of information. That's just the wisdom and the, and the, and the awesomeness of the God that we serve. But also with processing that amount of information, the information that we receive, it alters our perception of life one way or another. What we feed our minds can either weaken us or it can strengthen us. It can either produce fear or produce faith. When it comes to how we live out our Christian walk, what is in our minds is extremely vital and, and, what, and what we think about is critical. We, can, we cannot have a prosperous walk with God in each other if we're not filling our minds with the word of God. Because, you know, on Sunday we talked about digesting the word of God along with walking with his spirit. You know, and, and these are one of the biggest things that even impacts how we evangelize to one another. Evangelize even to the, the community uh, abroad or or whether it's, a, it's international evangelism or local evangelism. Evangelism is not, is not done, it's not a program that you do. It's basically how you live and walk your, your everyday life. The minute you walk outside your house and they see and, and the world is taking a view of you, you are evangelizing. The minute you engage in conversation and, and people are listening, you are evangelizing. It's not a, um, it's not a, a set time of doing something. It is basically how you live and you go about your day. When you're at home and you're with your children, you are evangelizing. Um, when you are engaging your ch children's teachers, you are evangelizing. You are, in a sense, spreading the good news of who he is through your actions, through your words, through your deeds. You are constantly in a mode of evangelizing. So... We cannot have a prosperous walk with God and each other if we're not filling our minds with the word of God. The word of God was given to the people of God as an act of his grace to help his people know him. And we look in the Old Testament where God gave the Torah or the law to the children of Israel after they had came out of Egypt, which was, which was, his, word at the, uh, which was his word at the time. And uh, this was necessary. Why? Because though Israel was his children, Israel was still Egyptian in their thinking. Think about that. They've been in Egypt 430 years. They've been ingrained in Egypt and um, in, in all the things that took place in Egypt. 
the worship that took place in Egypt, the gods that were being uh, glorified in Egypt, the children of Israel, they processed this stuff, you know? The, the food that the Egyptians ate, the children of Israel ate this food. And not only that, at one particular point, they became slaves in Egypt. So Egypt became their culture. It became their natural, everyday, you know, their, their thing, you know, how they lived their life was governed by Egyptian standards, by Egyptian core values. So, in other words, so, so basically, they were given the word of God or given the law to unlearn Egypt in order to be successful in their walk with him. Let's look at, uh, um, let's look at uh, Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 to 3. Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 to 3. And it reads that night, and it reads that night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. Verse two, all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to him, assembly is another word of saying church, congregation, the gathering of those who were called out. So this assembly, they said to him, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is Yahweh bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? These are people who were delivered in the most miraculous way like you and I. Yeshua in type has brought them from bondage, yet over and over when they faced challenges, they desired Egypt. This is not different from many of us who were saved by Yeshua, but for one reason or another, we retreat into the old way of thinking. We constantly think about going into the world, going back into the world, completely neglecting the God who saved us. It's that saying that you can take them out of Egypt, but you can't take Egypt out of them. Or if we break it down in our modern-day vernacular, we would say, yeah, you can take them out the hood, but you can't take the hood out of them. <laughs> this is where we are being challenged right now. For a couple of years now, we have talked, we've been talking about the grace of God. Um, this is not a new thing. If you looked at the writings of John Calvin and, and Martin Luther and St. Augustine, early church fathers who basically... Um, and other trails of theologians who talked about or emphasized grace alone, uh, faith alone, to God's glory alone. This was nothing new. Grace was, in a sense, the foundation of the gospel that they preached a long time ago. And, we, and a lot of times we've been so accustomed to this legalistic way of thinking that we totally forgot or we totally been sidetracked from understanding the grace of God that was pretty much the whole purpose behind the coming of Christ. They taught that you can't achieve anything through works and that all things have been accomplished through the cross. We have victory in Christ, and yet some of us are being challenged in living out this victory. 
We want to go back to legalism. We want to go back to a work-based mentality. The only way to appreciate the grace of God is to meditate on his word. Only in his word can we transform our thinking. What does the word of God do? Three things. The word, in essence, gives us a new way of thinking. The word, in essence, gives us a new way of thinking. Number two, the word informs us of God's will and plans, uh, God's will and plan for us as his people. Thinking about the passage in Joshua chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, where it talks about meditating um, on this law day and night. And, and the reason why this, was, this passage was particularly critical is because Moses had died. And Joshua is now going to be the new leader of Israel. And they're now about to cross over the Jordan and enter into the promised land. And there's going to be some challenges that they're going to face on the way. So they needed some form of encouragement. And so, of course, Joshua, being the leader that he was, didn't say, oh, you know, Moses died. Forget Moses. Let's go do this new thing. Joshua had to remind the people, listen, God has given us his word. God has given us something through Moses, who was the leader that we are all crying about. You know, now that he's gone, no, Moses' word is still speaking. What God has done through Moses is still speaking. Pay attention to it. Carefully obey it. Do, you know, say meditate it on day and night. And our ways will be successful as we're going into this new place, into this new territory. So the word informs us of God's will and plan for us as his people. And number three, the word distinguishes us from the world in regards to thinking. The word of God distinguishes us from the world in regards to how we think. When you've digested the word of God, when people see you, um, they can tell that you're not the same person that you were before, you know? I remember, you know, growing, I had friends when I was, I got saved when I was 16 years old. And I had friends that I used to roll, that I would roll with hard. And, and I didn't have to preach to them about, you know, saying how much God has changed me. They knew that I was saved. They knew that I'm, you know, I'm going to church. But I, at that particular time, I didn't know much, of, I didn't know too much about what was in the Bible. But as I begin to dig into the Bible and begin to pray to God about, you know, God, I want to follow you. I, I don't want to do the things that I was doing before. I want to I want to be different. I want to, you know, act different. I want to reflect who you are. Slowly and surely, those friends begin to leave left and right. I didn't ask for them to leave. I didn't pray for them to leave. I mean, Lord knows how lonely it can get when you're in high school and you don't have friends. So it wasn't my idea of saying, you know, I don't want to hang with you no more. I don't want to roll with you anymore. The more and more I got into the word of God and my thinking shifted, my, sh my thinking had changed. My friends couldn't, they couldn't jive with me anymore. They couldn't, they couldn't work well with me anymore. I didn't ask them to leave. They just gradually left. And then God has brought me new friends, Hallelujah. you know. God had given me friends, is that, you know, that, that helped me to walk out this thing, you know. And so God was reminding me that, yeah, your thinking is going to be different than their thinking. Your, the way that you act is going to be different than the way that they act, you know. 
Don't worry about them. You just continue. Keep, you keep doing me and let them do them. And then, you know, and then they'll, <laughs> they'll, either, they'll have to make a decision. They'll have to make a decision whether they want to be, you know, in this new culture that you're being a part of or if they want to continue doing what they're doing. As they say, the birds of a feather, uh, birds of the same uh, um, feather flock together, you know. And, that, and, that, and so it, I can always tell just how, how deep, you know, you've gotten into the word of God based on the friends that you hang around, you know. It lets me, you know, I can tell your maturity based on the friends that you hang around. If you're still hanging around with Pookie and them, <laughs> you know, if you still hang around with Pookie and them running the streets, then to me, I, I won't say that you're not saved, but I do question your maturity. I mean, that's just, the, that's just the way it is. Because if Pookie is comfortable with you, something says that, you're, you know, that your walk hasn't grown much. The word of God is only applicable to those who have the mind of Christ because the mind of Christ is spiritual and therefore submitted to the things of God. Romans chapter 8, uh, Romans chapter eight verse 6 to 8, you can write this down. It says that the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Verse 7 says the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Notice that God didn't give that God didn't give Israel the Torah or his law or his written word while they were in Egypt. Because Egypt was the domain of Pharaoh. It was basically the domain of sin. It was the domain of the world, flesh, and devil in typology. Egypt, by typology, functioned under the law of sin and death. If Israelites did not do as Pharaoh commanded, then they were subject to the death penalty. Egypt's environment was not conducive for spiritual growth and development. That's why God had to call them out of Egypt. Because while they were in Egypt, they were literally of no use or no witness to him because their mindset was still the same while they were in Egypt. Their, their, their environment would keep telling them that there is no other God that they can appeal to, no other God that they can cry out to, cry out to these Egyptian gods, and hopefully they'll save you. So God had to take Israel out of Egypt before he can give them the Torah. God had removed Israel from Egypt and then gave Israel his written word. The word of God, as in the Bible, is not meant for the world or those who have not been saved. They are unable to receive the written word because they are still resident in Egypt and still living under the domain of sin. You ever wonder why, you know, you can talk to people about the Bible and they, you know, tend to push it off as like, no, I don't believe that. You know, most of the people that I associate with or I talk to on a regular basis about the Bible will tell me that, you know, this is, this is the white man's Bible. You know, why are you an African reading the white man's Bible? You know, it was written for, it was written to keep you enslaved, they would say. <laughs> I know some of y'all heard that argument, you know. Or they would say that it's, um, or they would say that God is not real that how can you believe in a God that you can't see, a God that you can't hear, that you can't touch or, or taste? Like, like, why would you believe in that God? 
That's because their mindset is still in Egypt. However, for us who have received God through Christ Jesus, Messiah Yeshua, we have been transferred from the domain of sin into a, dom into a new domain, a new culture. When, when you get hired for a job at this new place of employment, you go through what they call new employee orientation. The reason why you go through new or, uh, employee orientation is because the new place that you're working, this new environment, knows that they have to uh, help you unlearn what you have maybe brought in from your old environment. They want to teach you their, their culture, their core values, their system of doing things. If, um, if, if for instance, if, if you were to start a new job at Chick-fil-A, thinking like at McDonald's, you're probably wondering, why do I always talk about food? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> if you start a new job at Chick-fil-A um, and you're thinking like a McDonald's worker, your presence will negatively impact Chick-fil-A's brand value. And we all know the mindset at Chick-fil-A is grossly different <laughs> than the mindset at McDonald's. <laughs> so they want you to embrace their core values and their way of thinking. The reason why Yahweh did not allow the generation that made it out of Egypt um, to gain access to the promised land is because their act of disobedience and rebellion was a sign that they were unwilling to embrace the value system of the promised land's culture and, and that God was implementing, therefore damaging Yahweh's brand, damaging his name, damaging his reputation he was seeking to that he was seeking to promote to the nations. In other words, you come into this new land with that Egyptian way of thinking and you're refusing to let it go, it's going to mess up what I want to do in this new land. You can't come in here. So that disobedient mentality, and this was, and so that one time that I, read, that I read to you, that was just one of the times that they would complain. But they would complain over and over and over. In their complaints, they would say, oh, I want to go back to Egypt. I want to go back to Egypt. If I'm bringing you to this promised land and you're still saying you want to go back to Egypt, that's a bad witness for, for, for what I'm trying to do. I'm bringing you into this new thing. I'm bringing you into this new culture, and you're talking to me about that old culture, you know? I got you this job at Chick-fil-A, and you're still talking about McDonald's. <laughs> and so what this tells us is that if we do not embrace the Word of God as the new employee orientation manual, which promotes kingdom culture that we are in sense negatively that we are in a sense negatively impacting our ability to make a difference in our communities as well as effectively proclaiming the name that saves to unbelievers uh, uh, um, throughout the world in our in our communities that where they surround us our neighbors. If I'm talking about yo my life in sin, how I love you know this life of sin, how I love what we used to do back in the days and all that stuff. How can I effectively preach Christ? If I'm, if I'm talking to, 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 to these people that I'm trying to witness to, if I say that I'm a Christian and everything that comes out of my mouth talks about how many girls that I slept with back in the days, how can I effectively preach Christ? 
If I'm talking about how much drugs I was consuming back in the days, and, and, that's what, and, that was, and those are the, the glory days for me, then how can I effectively preach Christ? Everything rides on the new way of thinking. How I live among my friends is impacted by this new way of thinking. If they're going to believe this gospel, they're going to accept this gospel, I have to have a new way of thinking. I have to have a new approach. I have to have totally surrendered and bought into God's new value system, this, this kingdom way of thinking, this kingdom culture. Amen? Amen. Last passage to read is uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 to 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 to 17. And it reads, but as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And verse 15, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. And this is Paul writing to Timothy. This is his final instructions to Timothy. He says, and from, how, and from infancy, how you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's interesting that Paul is talking about all scriptures. At this particular time, the New Testament has not been written. They didn't have the New Testament at this time. But Paul says that, he, but Paul reminds uh, Timothy that the scriptures was good for, in a sense, building his faith and his wisdom in the salvation of Jesus Christ. This was the Old Testament. But Paul was instructing Timothy of the Old Testament's usefulness in making him a worker for right, for a worker being trained in righteousness. Paul emphasizes the scripture or the word of God as being useful for training in righteousness, not training to become righteous. In other words, because the word of God is for righteous people, and as righteous people, the word of God equips us to do his work. The word of God is not what makes you righteous. And when I talk about, I'm talking about the written word of God. It's not what makes you righteous. You're already righteous. You already have the mind of Christ. The word of God will equip you and train you in this righteousness to do the will and the plan of what God has, has, God has called you to. In order for us to, in a sense, exercise the righteousness that God has made available to us, in order for, God, for us to live the lifestyle that God has called us to live, and I'm not talking about having a, a whole bunch of money as we've been taught in the past that, you know, if, you, if you're righteous, you got to have this amount of money in the bank if you want to be considered blessed. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being soldiers for God, being the people of God, reflecting the mentality of God, reflecting the heart of God, reflecting the mission of God. In order for us to do this, we have to be, we basically have to embrace his word. Because his word will instruct us. His word will empower us. His word will equip us to do that which he has called us to do. Ephesians chapter 2, and this is not in my notes, but I think it's, it's an extremely important. 
Ephesians chapter 2. And I'm just going to read this passage, and then we're going to be, um, we're going to close out in prayer. Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to start from, I think it's going to be verse, I want to say verse 9, but let me get there real quick. Verse 10, it says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's handiwork. Another, another uh, way of expressing that in the, in the original Greek is this word poema. We're God's poem. You know, we're his lyrics, if you want to put it that way. When we walk out there, we are what God has written. You know, we're the dope beats and rhymes <laughs> that the world needs to hear. Um, another scripture says that we are the epistles written of men, you know, written for men. Amen? So let us go out and do the work of God. In order to do that, we have to embrace his word. I know that we're, we're I'm preaching to the choir here because this group right here, we get into the word. You show up on a, on, a, on a Wednesday night on a regular basis, you're getting in the word. <laughs> but let us, uh, let us close out in prayer and, and uh, be dismissed. Father God, we just thank you for your word. We just thank you for speaking to us. We pray, Father God, that, you know, that uh, this won't just be a one-time thing, but that we will constantly, constantly uh, dwell on your promises, dwell on who you are, your plans, and and what you would have for us and what you would have for us to do. We thank you, Father God, because you didn't leave us um, uh, with, a, with a void, but you have filled that void with your spirit who you have promised will walk with us, and you have filled, filled that void with your instructions, your written word, that we were able to carry out those things that you have called us to do. Father God, we just pray that you will continuously empower us, that you will remind us of your goodness and that you will speak to us and also speak through us so that the nations around us, the world around us, will know that you are truly the God who reigns, that the earth can rejoice because Yahweh sits on the throne. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, guys.